Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Curator Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 2. An interview with Paul Walensky from 65 Days of Static. Now, before we get into this interview, I should let you know that around halfway through it, the support band for the evening started playing. So when you hear loud music coming through, you know exactly why. Also, at some point, another person comes into the room and does the work because we were in a production office. So you might hear that too. So, Paul. Hi. How are you today? I'm pretty good. It's um, it's um, It's the last... Uh, UK date on this tour uh, which means we get a day and a half off before we go and do the rest of it which is pretty exciting that's also t- sounds a bit uh, torturous <laughs> <laughs> no no I mean it's great it's great it's been like um, uh, I think it's about five weeks now and we've got a couple of weeks left uh, but we're going off to Asia on Monday so that's um, that's not going to feel like touring that's just going to be one one grand adventure <laughs> Five weeks is a long time, and I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've actually spoken to anybody so far on the podcast that's been on the road for that long. Um, how are you, how are you feeling? Pretty good considering. Um, it's like we 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 have a kind of weird level of uh, success or lack of, you know, in, in sixty five, and so we don't have we don't have the luxury um, of touring, you know, just the major cities. You kind of got to. Uh, go further afield and uh, because people aren't necessarily going to travel to the bigger venues but um, uh, it means that you travel more and so you want to fill in any days off with gigs on the way because you might need to go from the bottom of Portugal to you know up to Belgium or something so it's like and you can't afford the days off so you have to keep filling it Um, and you don't always get top priority because you know we're, we're us so uh so but we've got a great agent and she puts it together slowly and carefully and um we're good for it you know like we've d- we've done longer tours than this before um it's just we've never been this old before <laughs> so <laughs> it starts it starts to get a bit harder but this one's still been good is that like the knees getting sore and the back getting sore every night and all that kind of thing yeah yeah a little, <laughs> little bit it's just uh just um, I don't know. I just enjoy sleep a lot more than I used to. I think. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love sleep? Yeah, it's, it's possibly the best thing. <laughs> so um, I've been. I I did some research, um, and man, people keep asking you how the No Man's Sky soundtrack thing came about. Does that get tiring yet? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like we've literally run out of ways to um, answer most of those questions, and we've started to have to like. Uh, so many things come through that are like really. Uh, you know, it's just like thoughtless interviews that are going to be published as Q&As just for some website to have some content for half a day 
that might generate some ad, ad you know it's like it's so it's, it's it's kind of crossed that threshold so there's so many people sending us stuff like that and we've just had to stop because like, there's only so many ways I can tell what is a pretty basic and uninteresting story of them emailing us <laughs> asking to use some music so how, how did how did they come about <laughs> <laughs> no if people want to know they can fucking google it if they don't know it already then whatever yeah. um but i did have one question um which it became more pertinent to me as as as, as i read more interviews and it's like you guys have been approached by a lot of games magazines which doesn't happen to bands obviously you've done a game soundtrack has the vibe been different since you released the record in terms of people that want your attention it's been hard to say, really. Um, I mean, yeah, there was like a huge amount of interest from the games world, which was cool, and we don't have much of a frame of reference for that. We're not huge gamers. We've sort of we've been paying attention more because of doing this soundtrack, and it's a really interesting world. But um, uh, it was, I don't know. It was uh, uh, the only sort of sign we've the tangible thing that we've been able to experience is that is this tour so far and there's definitely been people from uh new people here people into the computer game stuff but uh to be honest that's not been the um it's not been what's been getting the biggest reaction um the wild light stuff that we played um sorry like the album that we made three years ago um we were, we're still playing a lot of that i mean we're playing a lot of all of our back catalog but but um i think because we did tour hard when wild light first came out but um it feels more like what whatever's happened in the last three years, people have gone deeper into the back catalogue stuff than the new stuff. Maybe it's just too soon for the new stuff. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's clearly not been a hindrance. Uh, and it should, but it's hard to quantify exactly how uh, how much of a difference it really has made. So has it, would you say there's been more interest in the band since, since uh, the No Man's Sky soundtrack came out? I think so. I think so, but, like, I mean, what... I, you know, uh, the the Facebook follower count keeps ticking up. The Twitter account keeps ticking up. Um, more people like the things we post a little bit, but uh, that sort of like the the the, the trajectory of sixty five days aesthetic forever has been a very very slow upwards like uh, line. Um, and if that ever stopped, um, or we felt like we just weren't delivering anything good anymore, we'd just kind of give up. Um, so we're kind of used to the kind of you know that's we take sort of solace in that that, that that's like more more and more people slowly hear us and tend to like us and that's great. Um, so maybe it's sort of accelerated that line a little bit, but it's not been it's not been life changing or anything. So let's talk a little bit about the soundtrack because I had it on a work today and I had it on, on the way here as well. And it's just I'm not a gamer myself, so uh, it was. It's cool to see bands like move into that. Like I interviewed Health as well, and they spoke a little bit about the Max Payne 3 soundtrack. But from what I gather, and the things that I've uh, the things that I've read already, and we'll probably go over them again in a minute. But um, mm -hmm. the sound that the way you composed this record has seemed to be completely different from the way they did, which is obvious. Ob that's obvious. Bands compose music differently <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but this was very much album first. Is that right? Yeah. Um, sort of. Kind of. Yeah. But that wasn't just because that's what we knew how to do. It was. Um, it, it was a deliberate choice on our part because um, the well, the, there was a, there was some deadlines, some really tight deadlines, and it was a new thing for us having to work to other people's deadlines. Um, and we definitely wanted to make a soundtrack that would stand up in its own right uh, for people who didn't care about the game, and even though it was a game soundtrack, that was like our number one 
uh, goal because um, because they wanted it to be a 65 Days of Static album and we didn't want to just let our, uh, you know, the 15 years we've been doing this be sort of subsumed by the computer game. We still wanted it to to have our, to keep our identity distinct from it. Um, so we're like, right, okay, we're going to do that and we'll write the album first because we need this sort of raw material anyway. Um, so we did do that first, but while we were writing the songs, um, the way that we normally write them is, uh, write a record, it seems to be that we generate loads and loads of material uh, and most of it gets thrown away. Uh, and a lot of that is is because it's rubbish. <laughs> but um, but then there's, like, there's, still, there's still plenty of stuff that gets thrown away because it just doesn't fit. Um, you know, a song might start as a piano ballad and end up being all electronics or a guitar wall of noise might end up being a piano thing. Like All of these things go in all different directions and we sort of used to jettison what we didn't use as a kind of house cleaning sort of like... Clear the slate kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it just seemed like the, the sensible way to do it. Um, so what we did with the No Man's Sky stuff is we'd still weed out all of the rubbish, but then uh, we'd collect all of the like alternative ways the songs could have gone that ended up not being the album songs and kind of started building these libraries of uh, sounds or melodies or phrases or different chord progressions that might have once existed in a song but got removed, like things like that, um, and just tried to, you know, like in vague like collections of hard drives just kind of try and keep on top of all this stuff um so then we did the record and when it came to doing the in-game soundtrack stuff it was um there was much more to play with than just you know sort of the stems of the songs which would have been a, a fancy it would have been like you could have made a fancy remix engine in the game but it, it wouldn't have been able to do the sort of things that we were then able to do because we had all of this stuff so like it's almost like if by using the alternate takes you've kind of got echoes of the stuff which I guess made onto the album kind of peppered throughout the game. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it, and um, that was quite nice because, um, like, we've learned to sort of not be too precious about the things that get left behind because that can be really dangerous. You know, if you, you keep coming back to these same old ideas that you really want to fit into a song, uh, and sometimes there's reasons why they never fit or they've never worked, and it's healthier to just kind of push forward. Um, so it was quite, it was like a reward. It was like, oh, I really like playing that on the piano. Um, and even though it's no longer, it doesn't exist on the record, it can still, there's still a place for it. It's tucked away in some soundscape or whatever. So working to a deadline, I must have been, I mean, that did that push the creative uh, sort of path in a, in a specific way because you knew you had something coming up so you kind of had to like go into the office and produce some work? Yeah, a little bit. And that's kind of... Uh, it was the cause of some anxiety, I guess, because he like uh, it's only a few shades away from you know just like com composing for hire, and uh, that's totally the wrong way to approach music. But um, because the, this particular project was like they clearly had a vision, and it clearly included uh, a sound that was sort of ours. It was um, it didn't feel like we were you know, selling our souls or anything. It was just um, the reality of the situation. Um, and studio time is always expensive. So there's always a deadline. If, you know, even if we don't have, you know, even if it's just us and we, if, if it turned out not good enough, we wouldn't release it. But when you get into the studio, there's always still the two weeks or whatever that you have there because you're 
earning money just just being in that place so you, so we're used to that kind of um you know the work ethic that that comes with that sort of pr pressure um but the other thing i think was the the um how to put it the they wanted the, they wanted the 60 a 65 days of static album but they clearly wanted a specific kind of 65 days of static album that probably wasn't what we would have written oh wow that's all we have time for i'm afraid okay millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, like because I think the, the, the direction that we were heading in is... Uh, not like it's it, weird, weirder and noisier. I think is the general kind of uh, f focus of the four of us. And we, if we'd been left to our own devices, that's what would have happened next. Um, and so, even though they said that we could write whatever we wanted, that's not really what they meant because uh, you know they wanted the sort of more melodic, more epic, I guess, stuff uh, that we that we sometimes do. Uh, that we try and avoid, but it kind of comes out anyway. So it was like a weird balancing act, I, I, I guess. Um, that was that was in many ways harder than the, the deadline aspect of it. It's made me realise that like it must. You're essentially working with a fan uh, who who wants you to be the <laughs> band that they think that you are. And obviously, as a musician, you want to keep pushing yourself and growing. So I mean, I never considered that before. That's that's that must have been really weird. It was really weird. Yeah, like. Um, we're like a puppet band that's like doing doing the bidding of our, um, our master but and and the thing was like it was the first time we did that you know we, we, we like you say we've always sort of tried to do different things and push in new directions so uh, maybe this is just like we're just a bit of double think on our part but we were like well this is the first time we've tried this like the first time we've ever tried to consciously look back at our back catalogue and understand what it was about songs that people liked and try to recreate that in a way that wasn't um, like painful for us you know so Supermoon one of the new songs is it, 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 it's a clear nod to Debutant which was an old song that they used for the trailer uh, and we used the same vocalist and kind of tried to evoke the sort of more hopeful side of what we do um, and it was interesting. Like, I, I don't think we do that ag again, but at the same time, um, it was, I don't know, it was like, it was, it was a good sort of humbling reminder that this is all just like pop music, you know? And um, when we wrote Wild Light, um, we made a very different choice uh, than the, all of the previous records. All the previous records, we thought that we were heading towards this sound that we could hear that was like somehow uh, impossibly new and like that nobody had ever quite done this thing before and like that sort of brilliant idealistic kind of enforced naivety. 
Uh, and then with Wild Light, we, we were like, you know what, let's stop trying to push into the unknown and dare ourselves just to write something that we think is good. And if it sounds not as cutting edge as we might think that we want it to, that's, you know, that's, that's a risk, but we're going to try it. Um, and I think it's still the record that we're all proudest of. And it didn't feel old and it didn't feel worthless and, or nostalgic in any way. It was just like, okay, we've got all of these tools now that we, all of these different ways and methods of making music. Let's just make music that we think is good and not. It was sort of like a shift in our MO. You know, it's like we're not pushing into the future. There is no future in music in that way anymore. There are no new sounds. Like, uh, it's all become a bit like atemporal it's just like we're all here now in post-modernity or whatever um, and so the No Man's Sky thing was a kind of a, a little bit like that it's like well you know um, looking back in this way isn't the sort of dangerous lapse into nostalgia that we once thought it could be um, it's not something that we should do every single time we don't want to start making the same record over and over but uh, it's not the end of the world <laughs> Wild Light is, is I don't I don't mean I don't mean to say that older stuff wasn't focused, but Wild Light definitely has the cohesiveness of a really focused. It's a tight eight songs, really, even though some of the songs are over six minutes. But it's, it's still very it's very tight and focused. Which um, the No Man's Sky soundtrack sounds like the natural um, progression of that, like you said, that ethos. Ah, uh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, I did an interview last week where. Um, a long-time sort of follower of us uh, called it sort of um, like more of a s standing still, and he, he meant he sort of meant it as a compliment. Um, and I think he was coming at it from the same idea. It's just like you know, you don't always have to forge into the unknown. It can be um, the same thing, just as long as it's, you're not always doing the same thing. Um, I refuse to believe you can stand still, especially if you're in a process where you've got to interrogate your own music for other uses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do, no, I do know what you mean. And like, um, even if you, um, because it's the pro, the, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there's diminishing returns if you, if that's all you ever do, like interrogate and then interrogate. And then like, there has to be, there has to be outside forces pushing you in some direction. And like, because it's just going to become incredibly self-indulgent to do that and endlessly. Um, and you do see you see so many bands do that uh, for me like so many bands that i used to like uh i'm not going to name but you know it's like they've they found what works and they'll keep doing it and that's that's i mean it's fine um and again like there's other bands who found what who have always done the same thing but it's like they're chipping away the same idea and remaking it like uh, i don't know like sculptors who make the same shapes over and over again but they sort of like yeah yeah um I don't think we're that kind of band, though. We, we've always tried to... I don't know if it sounds any... I don't know how radically different the albums sound from the perspective of not being in 65, but for, from inside, we've always tried you know, to switch up our like, tools and methods and approaches and things. I want to talk about the interrogation aspect of it, because obviously, like you said, you had to deconstruct it in order to, to have, make it serve many different uses in, in the soundtrack. And... Was, was that enlightening into your own creative process to take apart, like, to make sure that every single thing worked on its own as well as, as part of a unit? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest lesson that we learned was to, to trust ourselves a bit more that things do work and that, and that actually we don't need to spend 
uh, it's not it's not careless to sort of smash things out really quickly sometimes because we've been doing this a long time and uh, we've got better at doing things less consciously and that turn out to, to work like Supermoon which is clearly like it's one of the tracks that they used to tease some new trailers and it's by far the most popular one on the internet and stuff like I guess it's the the single of the album um, we had to finish that song in like we barely started writing it and then suddenly they needed us to get on a a plane to go to Vegas to play this insane game awards show that where they were going to announce that we were doing the soundtrack and um, so we had to play that song to this and we hadn't finished like we hadn't finished writing we had like we had, like, we had to go to the studio as well because they needed I can't remember exactly what it was but they had to have a studio version as like uh, backup or something like I, I don't know what it was but um, so we, so we like, we had about 12 hours, 24 hours to literally just like finish the song to get into the studio to smash it down. Oh, it was for, it was for like syncs or something for the video, um, and like we were, we went there and we did it and we were like, this song is, this is ridiculous. Um, like we need to like spend six more months with this piece of music uh, to iron out all of the problems, to tighten it up, to to work out what, uh, and we just never had that time. But then it, and we didn't think we liked it at all. In fact, we kind of hated it. Um, but then we just sort of sat with, we, we sort of put it aside because we had all of the other songs to write and the deadlines and stuff. And then finally came back to it. Uh, and we're like, right, let's finish this. And we're like, oh, no, it's finished. It's like, yeah, we did it. it was, it's actually quite good, isn't it? It's fine. Um, so yeah, it was the sort of, it was more the kind of not having time to interrogate ourselves as much as we normally would. That was probably like made us realize that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, has Superman changed now that you play it live? Sorry, what? Has Superman changed? Is it, is it, have you guys changed it in any way since you've since started playing it live? Um, I mean, it does happen naturally, but I mean, you know. We've, we've, we've switched around some of the way we play some of the electronic elements. Um, the, the, this was a big difference about the, this game, uh, the game soundtrack, is that the deadlines were so tight that we didn't have the time to consider the live aspect of it as much as we normally would do. Um, like Wild Light we could play from start to finish before we even went in to record the record but this one it was you know there's a lot of stuff done on computers, a lot of layering up of guitars without any thought to you know there might be five guitars going on and it's like well it doesn't matter we'll just like we'll, 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 work, we'll work it out later um, and that was Supermoon was really the only exception to that because of that, because we had to play it live by chance for this awards show. Um, so that's not changed very much. We did some, um, yeah, like the electronic thing for us is always complicated because uh, the live show, we, we, we prioritize different things. So we try not to use uh, backing tracks, but also I think there's a lot, that's, that's, there's, there's a much kind of more uh, complicated conversation about electro live electronic music because it's you know it's not it's not really possible. Like the, the most interesting way to do live electronic music is to stand crouched behind a laptop, you know. But that's not exciting for anyone to watch. Um, the physicality of a, a live band is always more interesting than someone behind a laptop, and that's kind of why we started being in a band in the first place, rather than being behind laptops. And so. Um, 
the the balancing of like loops and samples and synths and V drums and uh, like sharing that out amongst the four of us within the kind of acoustic or electric, you know, like the real instruments um, has been a, something that we've uh, something that we think about a lot. Uh, and was and was it took us the kind of until the start of this tour to properly settle into what who was definitely doing what. Um, so Supermoon, it's been it's been through a, f a few iterations, and uh, I think it's kind of settled now. I mean, having to do like having to have that sort of dichotomy between playing electronic music and obviously the live instrumental stuff. And you say that's always been something you've thought about. I mean, is that any point in, in your career that kind of caused you a bit of angst to think, holy shit, we can't actually do this completely live? Um, like in the early days, like when we were just starting out, it would always sort of upset us to read um, reviews that accuses us of using backing tracks and stuff um, because we tried so hard to, to, to make it more interesting that, uh, than that, but it doesn't keep us awake at night now. And like there's, there's um, the songs, like for example, um, uh, let me think. Like Heat, Death, Infinity, Splitter, and Wild Light. There's like uh, uh, a sub bass line that that plays back in time with what we're doing. And technically, that could be like incorporated into my keyboard sound, or because side who's normally doing the bass happens to be doing a sort of high pitch bend synth thing that requires two hands and is quite complicated, and I'm playing a two-handed synth thing. Um, so like all of the other electronics are live, and probably nobody would... No, that's not right. Like, nobody could tell that that was a backing track. You know, like, it's, it's, it's doing the exact same thing that I'm playing live, but it's just like an octave lower, and if it wasn't there, nobody would notice, but it wouldn't sound quite as good. Uh, but having that sort of specific sub-bass frequencies really sort of you know hits people in the chest, and so we're like, well, who who, who cares? Like no, nobody knows. Um, we're not ashamed of having a thing that's playing back along with us playing live because it sounds better. You still wrote the fucking music, so absolutely, yeah. It's like I have to say, like if you went to see Daft Punk, um, like I never saw that show, you know, with the giant pyramid and stuff. I never saw it. But like if it turned out that they just pressed play on a. a, a that tape or something and the whole thing was an act like who, who cares like because they're putting on this most incredible show and making people dance and, and so on and you can't you can't ever make literally live electronic music unless you're you know digitally synthesizing sine waves at, at source there's always going to be a layer of well compromise isn't even the right word you know it's just like it's just decisions that you have to make uh, to decide what it is that you're trying to present and for us it's more about the experience of someone in the audience like having that noise coming at them uh, rather than us feeling smug that we're able to manifest this like electronica without any pre-recorded anything you know but you know it, it depends on the song and we just sort of take it as it goes as it so it's okay it's, it's okay you do that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. This is not a big problem, I just enjoy the show. <laughs> uh, before, we get, before we get finished with the No Man's Sky thing, I've got one more question I'd wanted to ask. And you've kind of covered it a little bit, and I think we could probably glean the answer from this past 
conversation. But was there ever a fear that you might be getting involved in like making music by committee? Sorry, making music by committee. By committee? No, not really, um, because the very first conversation that we um, that we had. Um, like the proper one where I went to London to meet Sean Murray who's the the game director Um, and it was so nice and he was just you know he's been a 65 fan for a long time and he told us that that it had already been in development for a couple of years and they would every Friday they'd sort of do a uh, like a play test or whatever you'd call it and they'd use old 65 songs to sort of drive their imagination like the, the story he tells is like you know it'll be a cube traveling to a sphere and it's supposed to be a spaceship going to a black hole or something and uh, they put our music on and be like right like uh, imagine what this is what it's going to be like and sound like and it was so flattering and um then we had the second meeting with the sound designer and him we were we were ready then to be like you know do you want us to use an orchestra do you want like what are you what are you looking for well, we we we're, we're we're sold on this project that you've got and they were like just just write a 65 Days to Die record. Uh, you don't want us meddling. We'll leave you to it. So we were like, all right, okay, fine, fine. Like, if anything, a bit more, um, a bit more of a committee at the beginning might have been a, uh, helpful because, like, you know, like I said, like we slowly sort of gleaned the kind of 65 Days to Die that they wanted, um, but that is hardly like it was hardly like an iron fist like forcing us into somewhere that we didn't want to go it was uh yeah we, like and towards the end there, there might have been some friendly suggestions from paul weir the sound designer but it was only stuff like you know what i'm working with the game mechanics now and if you could give me 50 uh arpeggiated synth loops uh, i think that would work really nicely for the spaceship engine in this context or something like that um so we'd be like yeah for sure um but that doesn't again didn't really feel like uh being forced to do something that we hated it was just like okay let's make some cool synth noises for a bit have you played the game i played it for about five six hours i don't have a playstation none of us none of us do and um uh i, I went around to my brother's house and, and played it and it seemed cool um it's beautiful it sounded kind of nice um so yeah <laughs> but it made me like realize that realize the um the pressures that the sound designer must have been under because uh, we didn't have to take responsibility for anything working, uh, you know, on a technical level. Um, we just sort of, we were involved in the logic of the generative music and things, and that was really exciting, but ultimately we just passed loads of audio to them and washed our hands, that was, that was it. Um, and so uh, I think it made me realize how much of our music kind of sounds like spaceships that that he had to sort of weed out you know because you don't want the music to sound like spaceships because there's all these spaceships flying around and mining lasers being like it's a very noisy game um but i think he's done an incredible job kind of making it all like our soundtrack is just a subset of the whole sound design and it's it's really nice um but yeah i don't know like clearly it's been an incredibly divisive game and i can I can sort of understand why people expecting a more narrative-driven game might be let down by it, but at the same time, uh, I can't understand the uh, like hostility, you know, the entitlement, uh, the hate that like, if 
the people that are so angry about this video game, if that's what, all they have in their lives to be angry about, then I, I don't know. There's something. There's something not quite right there. People on the internet doing things that people on the internet do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, one thing I guess it struck me when you were saying that. If, yeah, so that means you've heard your own music played in weird ways that you never imagined it would played in. Yeah, and um, that must be odd. It's odd. It's odd, and that, you know that's the most the most rewarding thing about the whole process is like again, as I just said, the sound design is incredible, and not to take anything away from it, but. Um, the feeling of doing this generative music stuff and then suddenly like being thrust into a field where there's so much unexplored potential um, which is so unlike the music industry normally you know it's just the same old failing music industry out here but over there there's like um, it's, gen it's given us so many ideas uh, and what's actually going on with the generative soundscape to me doesn't feel complicated at all like I couldn't write the code I couldn't but conceptually it's it's not it, it's not that complicated um, and we, we've got loads of ideas where you could develop that in really interesting ways compositionally um, and it, I guess that's just not been done yet and so we'd really like to push forward and do more of that and just it's just about finding the people that can I don't know actually do the typing <laughs> Like you're getting somebody that can create a program which can then help you to make more interesting stuff, basically. Yeah, and I mean, like, and the, the the barrier to entries for that stuff is coming down all the time. We did actually build our own software because we couldn't have access to the game insides. You know, that's just not how it worked. But um, we sort of knew what the logic was going to do in the game and create created our own software up in Sheffield in our little room to sort of. Uh, What's the what's the audio word for visualize? Um, to, to, audio. To, audio to, <laughs> um, to like hear, like so we could hear what was what it was probably going to sound like. Because otherwise we would have had no way. We'd be like writing blind because writing deaf. Because um, well, you know what what we were actually generating for the game, aside from the album, was literally just stacks and stacks of audio files. You know, recording Joe doing an E, e minor drone. 50 different ways and putting that in a folder called drones and you know I mean it's like it was weird so we couldn't hear it all coming together unless we built that sort of system ourselves um, so yeah that's a, I think there's I think all of that is going to get taken forward into whatever we do next even if it's like just another regular album there's really interesting things to when you hear your own music coming back at you in ways that you've sort of curated but don't necessarily anticipate. It's interesting. Um, are you okay to keep going for a little bit longer? Because I've got another couple of questions I yeah, want yeah. to... I want to actually get into what the podcast is, is about. <laughs> um, <laughs> we kind of get carried away a little bit. But um, this is a, the, the whole podcast is kind of about creativity. And we've spoken a lot about that. I've spoken a hell of a lot about that, actually. But it's also about origin stories, Paul. Origin stories, Paul. So, what is your origin story? What, what, where does, where did you become? When did you start becoming a musician? What was the drive to do that? Um, that's a that's a tough question. I think I've always wanted to be one. Like, it's not a wrong answer, obviously. Yeah, um, I got really lucky with my um, parents. They like they big big music fans. Um, I, I never got played nursery rhymes or anything. I think. Um, I've been a New Order fan 
since I could walk, you know, and had cassette tapes of substance and stuff just uh, on repeat the entire time. That was like my childhood, really, and they, they had a great vinyl collection. So I was very lucky um, in, in those early years and um, I had piano lessons as a kid and then a little, I don't know, a little Yamaha keyboard or something. Um, and I think I think New Order were clearly just like a, it was just a big driving force. Um, and so I was making little electronic music and then uh, borrowing the drum machines from school um, and learning how to use them. And I, I think it's just what um, it's just what I always wanted to do. And then finally got to university after all of that and because that's where you go to start bands right so so did that basically so where did the desire to be in a, a big bombastic rock band come from because i mean the fourth matters are pretty big rock records yeah well like around the time that we were started starting um we were listening to we, we weren't listening to much guitar music um but there was really interesting stuff going on people like uh kid kid 606 and um and Square Push and Aphex Twin and was big Orbital fans. Like that was my sort of, that's where I kind of tended to be. Um, but um, like I was like I was saying, it was like I didn't just want to be like stuck behind a laptop. And um, uh, around this time, at the drive-in and Trailer Dead were a sort of for me for us at that time like a new breed of guitar bands it was like a world away from all that the, like the new metal nonsense and the the energy and the kind of life that they brought to their shows was really exciting and but we were listening to like electronic music as well and it didn't seem like in any way weird to not have a singer and to have electronics and guitars at the same time uh, but no one seemed to be making that kind of thing, so that was it. It was just like, well, okay, I've got a sampler. Joe's got a guitar. Just yeah, yeah. And like, we didn't have a drummer for quite a long time. Um, we were like a three-piece of a guitar, a bass guitar, and electronics, you know. Um, so in our, like, we we get this a lot. Like, clearly the outside perception is different from ours like because for us we started as an electronica noise thing um, and then we got a drummer and we sort of um, that kind of opened us up to the, like the live show and that was so exciting for us that I guess that framed how the first record sounded um, so it was never that we started as like a rock, a rock band we were kind of like alright we've got all of these things um, but haven't quite worked out what to do with them and um, uh, yeah, and then Rob joined the drummer, uh, and then that the, the first sort of batch of songs became the Fall of Math. I remember when I first heard Retreat Retreat, and I was that just blew my mind. I'd never heard anything like it at the time. Um, it was just one of those things. It was like, holy shit, what is this? I'd never because I'd never heard the electronica and, and, and you know rock like shoved together like that. And I was like, fuck, man, like <laughs> that's really fucking cool. Uh, but you guys have obviously grown to be so much more than. Fall of Math, like, is. Um, you can hear it all over the place now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, we, from from the very beginning, we like, you don't want to be one of those bands that's always trying to recreate the, the, the energy of your first records because you can't, because, you know, we were, like, early to mid-20s, like, when we made that record, and it is a very energetic record. Um, 
but I don't know like it was a slow I think the first three records were well, the first four records I think were one chapter for us maybe um, probably we were exploding anyway is the record that we were always trying to get to um, with the, certainly with the first two records I think we kind of made a wrong step with the third one it was a bit too heavy a bit too dense a bit too rock band like the thing that I think it's a thing that means we're forever described as post-rock now because it was very serious um, and, and a bit too indulgent in its seriousness. I don't know. Like, there's a few tracks on there that I don't hate, <laughs> but, um, but I think I think it, I think none of us really liked where we ended up. Um, and exploding was the thing. It was like, ah, yeah, this is this is what we wanted, and now we've done it. And in doing so, realised that it was never going to be as um, like poppy as we thought it could be if you, if you see what I mean like we, I th- we always wanted to write pop music and for, for to be okay for pop music to not have any singing or uh, and be noisy you know like the Prodigy do or something but like by that point we were like okay this is this is like our best shot at that kind of thing and we're really happy with it but we're just like four guys none of whom are Keith Flint <laughs> um and it's still a bit weird and like we even had Robert Smith on that record and instead of doing what a more savvy band would do and write like Crystal Castles did it right write a three minute pop song Robert Smith there you go we kind of like covered him in distortion it's an eight minute long song he doesn't sing until like the last two minutes or something like we it was like we were just unconsciously doing whatever we could to not succeed (laughs) in any sort of like uh, commercial way Uh, which is fine you know obviously fine um and but but we kind of nailed, we felt like we nailed it and although i can't it, it, like it's like looking at old photographs you know i can't i can remember that time but i can't fully relive the sort of impulses that made us want to write that kind of music specifically because we're somewhere else now but um we were really happy with it at the time still proud of that record but it was like a kind of okay that's like the end of 65 Mark one, and let's work out what to do next. And they're doing soundtracks and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's funny how things happen like that, isn't it? Yeah, like we, uh, I think we're just like st- so stubborn. We stuck around long enough that finally, like p- people who were listening to us from the beginning have assumed positions of power, <laughs> <laughs> like like video game directors and stuff, and so like like they haven't forgotten about us, and that's quite nice. I mean, that was obviously a huge project you've just done, and uh, I guess, do you have any idea what the future's going to look like from here, or have you not really thought about it? Um, Tell me all your secrets, Paul. <laughs> I wish <laughs> I wish I had some. Um, we don't know what we're doing. Um, like, well, I'm so glad you said that, by the way. It's so, it's so refreshing to hear that. As a musician, I'm always like, man, these guys have got to figure it out, surely. <laughs> no, absolutely not. We'll, you know, we'll finish touring this. Um, it'd be great to get some festivals next summer. Um, that'll be I suppose the test of whether this game has meant that festival bookers think we're cool enough to book now or not the answer is usually yeah <laughs> um, but we'll you know so we'll tour we'll do festivals and then yeah it'd absolutely be great to do more we'd really like to do the film soundtrack um, uh, the computer games it's a weird world uh, like a lot of computer games look like not the kind of thing that we'd want to sound track specifically but the 
the sort of the form of it, the, the interactivity of it, and uh, the generative aspect of the music is, is I find really fascinating and it's a, it's a perfect vehicle for that kind of thing like you could do it in maybe sound installations to a pretty niche audience and that would be great too but um, I like the idea of this very popular form uh, doing something genuinely groundbreaking to a lot of people um, so it'd be, it would be great to do more more of that but I don't know how you do that like I don't know there's no like phone number to ring like uh, I don't know how other bands do it um, just to wait and see. So there's, there's nobody phoning you all the time going, "Can you do my game, please?" <laughs> Not yet, no. Uh, I'll put I'll put some f- some f- some feelers out for you. <laughs> okay, find, find something for you there. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank yes, you very much. You. Is there anything you want to say or anything you want to ask me before we finish? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've had enough sleep to do anything other than react to questions. Uh, forming my own might be a step too far at this point in the tour. <laughs> After five weeks, I don't blame you at all. (laughs) Paul, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. You can do that right now by hitting the subscribe button and whatever podcasting app you're using. Don't forget to check me out on Twitter at The Curator Pod. Until next time, bye-bye. This episode was created, edited and produced by Mark Fraser. If you want some more information, please go to www.thecuratorpodcast.com.